0: looks like we piqued your interest in The Hideout. First of all, let me tell you what The Hideout is not. The Hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The Hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap into the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially, and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, You'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast, where attitude is everything. Um, I want you guys all to excuse me uh, today because I'm going to read off a couple of things. Generally, I won't read off a page, but uh, I'm going to read off a couple of things because in the event that I don't, I wouldn't be able to list off the amazing accolades of this young man. Uh, I got a chance to meet him in, uh, in Minnesota. We got to spend some time together and it was, I mean, it was probably one of the most impactful times that I had because it was things that people didn't see. And so I want to tell you about Dov Barron. Dov Barron, uh, you know, he's been listed twice to uh, the the top world uh, global leadership gurus by Inc. magazine, Uh, top 100 speakers, he's been in that. Uh, He's a, a uh, best-selling author uh, with multiple books that we're going to talk about. He spoke to the United Nations, the uh, Dep- uh, Department of the State, the World Management Forum in Iran, the U.S. Air Force, the famed uh, servant leadership. Um, and he's an absolute, um, what would I say, a guru in neuroscience and and the, the behavioral, uh, human behavior. And we've, we named this episode, the, the emotional source code, because this man, like he breaks down every single thing. But I think the coolest thing for me, as far as the personal testimony, is all those things are great. Best-selling author, one of the top gurus, leadership, and who has one of the top uh, leadership podcasts in the world also. But for me, I got to see him behind stage. And I got to see him when no one was there. And he pulled me aside, and he pumped me up right before I went on, uh, on stage, and he let me know of things that no one was hearing. And most of the time, you hear a person with a presentation, you hear a person with a system, and then you interact with that person, and they don't use the system. They don't live the system. They don't live and breathe it. It's not inside of them. And this man pulled me aside, and, and he just breathed life into me. No one was watching. No one heard. And to this day, no one knows what he says. said. But I do. I know what he said. And what he said impacted me in such a huge way. And I I tell you, uh, our paths, uh, I'm so glad that they crossed because I told him I was going to force him to be my friend for the rest of his life. Um, And I want to welcome to the show the best-selling author, one of the top gurus in leadership in the world, one of the top hosts of the top podcast, and all those uh, accolades, but my friend, Dov Barron, to the show.
1: Thank you, sir. Pleasure and honor to be here. I'm excited to serve.
0: Well, it's a, it's incredible, man. I want to jump right in because uh, we were talking right before we started uh, before we started the podcast, and you were telling me that uh, I asked you, you know, how are things going? You said that there was highs, there was lows, there was you know different things that were going on. Um, you said that there was some loss, and you had a really uh, very, very unique way of being able to almost process this. If anybody out there has, has dealt with loss, which, you know, I, I think every single one of us has, and if you haven't, you're going to in your life. But, Dav, mm-hmm. you just lost someone who was very, very special to you. Can you talk to, uh, talk to the audience about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, like most people um, realized in the pandemic, uh, we all suffered some kind of loss. And some of us, it was the loss of certainty of our environment, Uh, For some of us, it was the loss of somebody we loved, uh, that we couldn't attend a funeral or we couldn't visit them in hospital. Um, And, you know, I dealt with three or four losses during that period of time. But recently, um, I lost uh, my uncle, who was kind of my big brother, who's nine years older than me. He's the guy who introduced me to politics, which I speak on and uh, advise on. And he introduced me to music, which I am a bit insane about (laughs) this massive music industry history. Um, and losing him was the last of the lineage of my mother's family. And one of the things that I guide people on around loss is this, we've all got this mental construct of loss that doesn't, it's not real until you're dealing with it. You know, that you've experienced that if you've had loss, you think it's going to be one thing and it's another. And Elizabeth Kubler Ross laid out the the five stages of grief, and yeah, you know, we think we're going to go through those stages one by one. But that's not actually how it works. And this is my quote that Kelly's referring to: "Grief is an ocean with unpredictable tides. It's something that will wash over you when you don't expect it. You'll find yourself." at a place in an environment and suddenly you'll be teary and you'll miss somebody or something. And it's giving yourself the permission to be with that, that makes you a healthy human being. But we live in a society that's focused on hustle and focused on use your mind and be logical and rational. That's not how it works. Human beings are emotional first. We're logical and rational after. And by giving yourself permission to be with whatever the feeling is, including sadness or or grief or even anger or all the things that go with it, you actually empower yourself to be a more fulfilled and richer person in all of your life. So if you can give yourself the permission to really deeply cry and be sad, that is also permission to be deeply uh, grateful and joyous and all those kinds of things. And if you've ever used a monkey wrench, um, you know, you know those little wrenches that you wind open or you wind closed. They don't open at one end. So imagine your life as that. You open it at one end to allow in more sadness and the grief, so you're st- you're not pushing it away. But that also allows more joy in, and more 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 exuberance, and more passion, and more compassion. And so it's not one-sided. So don't go, oh, some emotions are good and some are bad. No, they're not. That's just a labeling of meaning it's not the truth. Embrace it all. And you become a richer, deeper, more fulfilled human being. And that's what we're here to be. We're here to serve at a soulful level. And we can't do that while we've got ourselves constricted into who we think we should be or who we were told we should be versus who we are at our very essence.
0: Dov I think it's incredible because I think a lot of times people speak from theory, right? And they'll read a book and then they'll regurgitate their information. I watch this all, I watch this all the time and and you oh, watch yeah. it and we talked about it and the reality yep. of who you are is so amazing because when you're talking about dealing with loss, you're not talking about like theoretically. You you just lost. Uh, you just lost your mm-hmm. brother. I want to talk about another thing that most people and when I laugh about it, it's not like haha, I think it's funny. It's just ironic that you have overcome so many different aspects in your life. Mm -hmm. You you fell 120 feet, okay? But before we even get into that, man, you were doing it by free climbing. Um, Yep. Help a brother out here because when (laughs) I watched Free Solo, man, I was like, I I like to watch this documentary, but my butt ain't going up on it. I mean, there is no way. My son is so excited about the Dawn Wall and about, uh, you know, uh, about – uh, what was the other one? Uh, what was the other one? Uh, free Solo, the the yep. documentaries. And he was like, man, he knows their names. He was so excited about it. And I was like, boy, he ain't never going there. I don't know if I'm going to have him hang out with Uncle Dov if he's good. No. Okay. So no. what, 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 prompted, what prompted this, man? Why are you going to climb up a rock with no ropes on you at all?
1: So yeah, in case you don't know what free climbing is, free climbing is mountain climbing for the moderately insane. (laughs) (laughs) Not moderately, man.
0: Come on. Let's be truthful here, man.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'll go all the way. Completely insane. Okay. Because um, on the particular day I was doing it, I wasn't even doing it in the usual way. I was actually soaking wet. I wasn't even wearing the right clothing. I'd been um, scrambling behind a waterfall and it, it was loony. So here's the thing to understand. Um, before I fell, I was a full-blown adrenaline junkie. I did all kinds of stupid stuff for the adrenaline. And and it didn't go away when I fell, so let's be clear. So, um, that fall was not my first fall. It was my fourth. Because, yeah, you know, slow learner, all right? Um... It was my fourth fall. The first fall was 70 feet off uh, 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 Bluff, No Bluff in Western Australia, which was a shale mountain, and I tumbled all the way down, um, which was not very good. Okay, so um, help,
0: help me on this, though. At 70 feet, okay, if you fall 70 feet, I don't know how long that takes you, but it takes you a little bit longer than me falling off, like, my stairs, okay? And while you're falling, did you lose your breath? Halfway down, <laughs> you know, like because I think about if you fall a long time, you're like ah, and then you have to take a breath ah. ah, ah well, or were you able to yell the whole way down, Dov?
1: Well, in on Bluff No, it was a tumble fall, so it's not <laughs> sheer fall. What like were you? The- what were you saying? What were you saying? Were you yelling out obscenities or were you yelling uh, ah was, ah? I was probably just. I, I don't actually remember because it's a while ago, but I'm sure I was just yelling <laughs> ow. <laughs> right because it was like being kicked everywhere when i got to the bottom i looked like i'd been you know like four bounces to give me a nasty nasty taunting i was in rough shape but as i said it was my fourth fall Uh, but i'd done all kinds of adrenaline things that, that people shouldn't do like jumping off cliffs into lakes and doing all these kinds of things and i was doing these things because i wanted that adrenaline and if you'd have asked me five seconds before i'd gone on the hike that took me on that uh that journey if you'd have asked me um is your life on purpose i would have said yes i would have absolutely said yes but it wasn't true i didn't i didn't know it wasn't true so as i often say i was lying i just didn't know i was lying at the time and um, it took an awakening for me to realize i was lying i was driven by this desire for adrenaline. Now let's just put this in context for a moment because that was June of the year I fell. And in November of that exact same year, okay, with my jaw wired closed. So, you know, my jaw was in five separate pieces and it was all wired closed. So I'm eating through a straw. In November of that year, I went bungee jumping off the Nanaimo Bridge at 140 feet. Talk about loony, right? So I fell 120 feet, <laughs> and months later, I'm, I'm bungee jumping at 140 feet. Now here's where it gets really interesting, because my buddy was supposed to come with me. He was my kind of my adrenaline twin. He's now one of the leading Kravnagar teachers in the world, but he he was supposed to come with me. He didn't come, and I did it. And then that night I saw him and he said, "How?" You know, he was really excited cuz bungee jumping was new. And he was like, "How was it?" And I said, "Oh, it was awesome. It was amazing." And then I there was this pause. And I said, "I'm lying."
0: Mm.
1: And he goes, "What do you mean you're lying? It wasn't awesome?" I go, "No, it's not that it wasn't awesome." He said, "Well, what are you lying about?" I said, "I don't remember." And he goes, "What do you mean you don't remember?" I said, I stood on the bridge with the bungee cord around my ankle. They set me up. They talked me through it. And they, and they said, we're going to say three, two, one bungee, and then you jump. And I said, okay. And I walked to the edge, and I said, for the first time ever, when he said three, my hands clamped onto the railing. They, I was white knuckling. I, and I knew immediately if he gets to one, I'm not going, right? So he said, three, I clamped and and as he said, two, I released myself, and I jumped. I ran out, and I jumped. <clears throat> and I remember the blue sky. I can still picture it in my mind. I can remember the blue sky and on a clear November day, blue sky. I can remember the, the pine trees. I'm 140 feet up over the Nanaimo River, and that's the last thing I remember until I bounced at the bottom on the cord and went woohoo, and then they, you know, they lo- you know you bounce a few times, they lower you down, and so my friends like, well, what happened in between, and I said I don't know, and it was in that moment that I gave up adrenaline, and people say, well, why, and I, and I said because in that moment I realized. I was doing the adrenaline things to try and feel dynamically alive. I'd come from a childhood, and environment that had shut me down, was incredibly abusive and, and all kinds of nasty stuff went on. And I learned to protect myself Mm. as a kid by shutting down my emotions, by shutting down these overwhelming feelings, by confronting fear constantly. So I'd made that the part of the, it was my emotional source code for my life and I was living my life in that way. So I needed a release valve. The adrenaline was my release valve. I'm dynamically alive now. Now in understanding that some people do that in that they risk massive amounts of money or they'll risk their marriage and they'll screw around or they'll risk something else to feel dynamically alive. But I got it in that moment. That's what I was actually doing. And, I, and my friend said, oh, are we going to go do, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was another adrenaline sport the following week. And I said, no, I'm out. And he's why? I said, because I'm done. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, that moment of woohoo at the bottom, that bounce that I've survived, that's where I'm going to live. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't need to test my life to feel fully alive. And that's what I've been doing. So I'm just going to be fully alive in every single moment. I'm going to live it with that level of connection to the life force itself. And that was the turning point. Since then, I don't do any adrenaline sports. So So your kid's safe with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Maddox, Uncle Dov, you can hang out with Uncle Dov now. but (laughs) it's got permission again. uh, Uncle Dov, help me with this because – when you have dy- it's it's amazing because when you have dynamic leaders like yourself, you have a, a person who is probably one of the greatest and one of the biggest authorities on leadership in the world. And not only do you lead yourself, but you help other people to lead. You talked about you went through you know you talked about a little bit uh, about like childhood and some of the nastiness that that happened. I think a lot of times we talk about that part of it but we don't talk specifically about it. I would like Mm -hmm. to go to that place because I think there's a lot of people out there. that are like, yeah, Dov, you may have had some nasty stuff, but you don't know what I went through. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I, for anyone listening, I'm not talking about that. I'm comparing Dov's situation, but I want to, I want to go to that place because it's not a place where most people sit, they hit it and then they move. Mm -hmm. And, um, so take us back to young Dov. I mean, uh, you know, what were some of the things that you, that you dealt with that, that caused you to want to move towards this adrenaline? Because I think, and help me with this too, I think a lot of times people either choose a general adrenaline, some people tr- choose alcohol, some people choose drugs, uh, some people choose, you know, cheating on their wife or whatever it is, like you were talking about, but let's go back to young Dov and, and, and dive into this.
1: So let's start here, before I go into that. I, I, for a moment... I want you to consider that when you look in the mirror or when you look out in the world, remember this, everyone that includes you, everyone is trying to feel better. You need to have compassion when you look in the mirror because you've done some stupid shit. You've done it because you're trying to feel better. And everybody you see around you, everyone you see around you who is doing stupid shit is just trying to feel better. They're trying to distract themselves from their pain, a pain they've not confronted, a pain they think that if they confronted it, they will be overwhelmed and they'll never survive. That's not true, by the way. I know that for a fact because those are my clients. They are billionaires and entertainers and athletes and leaders at all kinds of levels who think that their life will be destroyed if they look at this. And it doesn't destroy them. It always makes them better. So everybody you meet is trying to feel better. And to add to that, I want you to really grasp this. All pain is equal. Now, what do I mean? You go, well, you don't know. I mean, you know, you weren't raped. Hold on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All pain is equal to the person who experienced it. Do not minimize somebody else's pain and don't minimize your own. You go, well, you know, my my dad didn't uh, diddle with me or my mom didn't diddle with me or I wasn't beaten with a big stick or whatever it is. So it doesn't count. It's not really abuse. Bull. You need to honor that part of you, that child within you who suffered. Not because you're trying to make your mom or your dad bad. I'll grant you that they did the best they could with what they know. My question is, did they do the best they could with what they could have known? Were they willing to know more? Because whether the kid you were, the kid I was, didn't think about, well, is my mother educated? Is my father educated? Could they go read a book? Or, you know, uh, do they have some psychological issues of their own? The kid I was, like the kid you were, just wanted to be loved and feel like they were safe in the world. That's what we really wanted. And so all of us have our own pain. And yours is not worse or better. or It's just different. That's all because my childhood is not yours and you may think it's worse or better. It doesn't matter. You have to own and validate your own because if you don't, you're living in a false identity to protect something. And oftentimes it's the person who was emotionally, mentally, physically, sexually, spiritually violent to you. And you go, well, no, they weren't that to me. Listen, please stop minimizing. You're not protecting anybody. You're just protecting your own ego. Doesn't help you. Doesn't help you to heal. Doesn't help you to get to forgiveness. And by the way, if you're running some story about, well, I've forgiven my father for that. No, you haven't. Not unless you've forgiven yourself. You might have handed it over to Jesus or you might hand it over to your therapist or whatever it is. That's lovely. That's not dealing with it. You got to honor that part of you. So I, where I grew up, I grew up in abject poverty, surrounded by violence and crime and addiction and all kinds of distress destructive environment, incredible poverty. Uh, my dad was gone when I was seven. I came down the stairs, looked down the hallway and this huge silhouette. My dad is, um, it was about six, one. So you can imagine to so a little boy of seven, you know, he was a giant and he blocked the light going out onto the street. And as I came down the stairs, I could see this silhouette and just had this anxiety and said dad dad where you going and he came back down the hallway towards me to this little boy and he gets down on his knee and he puts his one hand on my shoulder and the other hand on my other shoulder and then he ruffles my hair as if like you think about that it's kind of like knighting with a sword right and he ruffles my hair and he said i'm going now son you're the man of the house Uh, i have a word for that and it starts with f there's two words actually starts with f and the second one starts with you stole my child in that moment you're the man of the house i'm seven but guess what i don't understand that that's not appropriate i take it on so i took it on because i had a lot of younger siblings i had to take care of my mom was incredibly depressed and i needed to take care of her so i fed and i clothed and i dressed and i made my mom laugh and did all the things that a kid learns dysfunctionally to do now have those things had their benefits, of course they have, but they've also had their detriment. So that was pretty rough and we were without money and without food and sometimes without electricity and without fire, um, it was pretty rough. And then um, yearish later, my stepfather came along and he was the white knight. He rode into town and saved us all because he showed up with Chanel blouses for my mom, told her she was beautiful. And he moved in within two dates and you know, everybody thought he was a, a saint because he brought food with him and did all these kinds of things. And, uh, and he took on a woman who had four kids. Wow. What a man, except he was a pedophile and he was part of a pedophile ring. So that had his downside and he hated me and I hated him and, uh, with good cause. Um, so those are just some of the highlights,
0: well, Do- Dove, let, like. let me ask you this right quick. Is When you talked about him being a uh, – you, everything you say sounds good. You realize that. Like with your accent, I want you to realize, Dov, since I met you, I wanted to be your friend. Now, this was superficial because your accent makes me seem like I'm cool. Like if I introduce you to a friend and I'm like, this is my mm-hmm. friend Dov, and then you say poo-poo-pushu, in your accent, you made it sound like Chanel and Louis Vuitton. you just you're the first person in my life that i've ever heard the word pedophile said and i was like wow i I didn't even know what it meant like when i heard you say it at first it okay but you said pedophile you you said it in your uh, accent which Mm -hmm. is amazing but you said pedophile and then pedophile ring i want to help help us with this i've never heard of someone with a pedophile ring
1: so uh so he was a, well, he was actually a sex addict who had a persuasion towards pedophilia. So that means that, uh, he screwed around on my mom all the time, uh, with other women, um, cause he was a sex addict, but he was, you know, he was an alcoholic and a sex addict as well as being a pedophile.
0: Did you ever, um, did you ever find, how would you find out that he was screwing around on your mom? And when you did, did you want to whoop his tail?
1: So I found out when I was quite young, probably, uh, it, it was going on from the from the very beginning, but I found out when I was probably about 13. How'd you find um, out? My mom told me um, because she, see again, the dysfunction, she had me spying on him. Okay. She had me, so I have had a deep voice from a very young age. So she would take phone numbers out of his pockets and then I would call, like she would dial those numbers or I would dial those numbers and she'd have me say, hi, this is, and I'd say I, his name and see what was said. So I became triangulated dysfunctionally into this disgusting system
0: how, as how well long as being in, a
1: victim of it. How
0: long into this, Dov, did you realize, or because as a kid, a lot of times you're like, uh, I remember thinking that, um, you know, some of the things that I went through as a kid, I just thought that they were normal. Every kid is going through this. Like, not putting pictures up on my wall um, mm-hmm. until I was like 35 years old. And people were like, right. did you just move in? I was like, no, why? And they said, because you didn't put any pictures up. But I realized it was because I hadn't ever lived in the same place for more than two to two and a half years. Every two to two and a half years we'd move. So at this time, so you're probably 12 years old, you're making these phone calls. In mm-hmm. your head, in Dov's, Dov's little head, what is he... and? It, You know, you were probably a muscular dude at that time, too, because, I mean, I tell you, if you get to meet Dov, yeah, like, yeah, he's no joke. He's like a little brick. So um, (laughs) help me with this. Are you are you thinking like, yeah, I'm I'm doing a good service here or what's going through your mind at this time?
1: So you brought up something that's really important for people to grasp. And uh, and it's part of why we protect abusers, because uh, even if the abusers so you can please understand this. You can be totally pissed off and angry and hate somebody who abused you. And you can love them. You can have both those feelings, but you can't dismiss either. You can't dismiss either. I hope you got that. You can have both those feelings, but Mm. you can't dismiss either. It's vitally important because here's what's important for you to understand. Normal isn't healthy. Normal is whatever you got used to. Can you say that one more time? Absolutely normal isn't healthy normal is whatever you got used to so if you got beaten on a tuesday that becomes normal if every tuesday night you come home and your dad beats the crap out of you that becomes normal and you might even tell yourself it's loving because if your dad beat the crap out of you and said listen i'm beating you because you got to toughen you up for the world and it's because i love you you might find yourself as an adult in the world beating up on people Maybe you go, well, I'm a better person than my dad because I don't beat on people. Do Is that true? You go, yeah, I never, never hit anybody. Ah, do you beat up on people verbally, emotionally? Oh, oh, yeah. There's all kinds of ways to be violent, right? So this is the first thing is to understand that normal isn't healthy. Normal is whatever you got used to. Now, let me explain this to you because this is really vital for you as you want to be successful in the world, okay? Just let's stop for a minute. That, excuse my language, that shit that happened to you is horrible, right? Let's not deny it. It's horrible. But in order to survive, you have turned it into a skill. You have turned it into something good and powerful that's allowed you to survive and do well in the world. The problem is it's one-sided and you've not examined it. So you can find yourself doing these things. So for instance, I was the eldest kid, and I took care of everybody. And I was desperately wanted to, to, to protect my mom, hence being a 12, 13-year-old kid making these phone calls to my stepdad's girlfriends. Because I thought I was serving my mom. I thought I was doing something good. I didn't look at it as like, wow, this is really dysfunctional of my mother to even ask her son to do this, and of me to do it, it's incredibly damaging. I didn't stop to think that because I loved my mom. Is it abusive what she was doing? Yes. Did I love her? Yes. It's not one or the other, it's both. And stop moving your parent into a black, white, right, wrong, yes, no category, and understand that human beings are flawed. We make mistakes. If you're a parent today, I want you to know something. You have screwed up your kid and you go, no, no, I've been, listen, you've screwed up your kid. Let, let's just be honest about it. The jo- The job is to recognize where you've done it, be accountable for it and see what you can do to make it better. A bad parent is one who says I've never screwed up my kid or I've never, never going to look at it. Right? You, you know, I've got kids. I've got three kids, right? I know I've done damage and guess what? I'm also not afraid to apologize. I called my son on Monday night because he was over here with my new granddaughter and my daughter-in-law and the other grandkid was here. And my second youngest grandchild and I, we play a lot together and I'm, you know, I'm G dad and I'm goofy and I'm, you know, and so when I'm changing a diaper, she'll kick cause she's almost two. Right. And she'll kick at me and I'll go, you want some of this, right? And then and and she and she starts to laugh, and I laugh, right? And I go whoop, on her nose like this, right? I had a conversation, and I'm and then we're playing. Her and I are playing in front of her parents, and she goes, "This, my granddaughter, who's 22 months, she goes this," and my daughter-in-law was mortified, and she says, "If she does that at daycare." that's violent and I had to sit and think about that and I called my son and my daughter-in-law and I said I need to apologize to you it's playful to me I said here's the example I said and this is about the anatomy of meaning I said what does this mean and my son said "Uh, doesn't it mean F off and I said in England yeah it does we don't do the bird we do this right and I said what does this mean and he goes I don't know I said, well, it's this, but just turned around. What is it? And he goes, I don't know. I said, it means victory. I said, but if you're not born in the UK, you likely don't know those two things. You might, but you likely don't. I said, to me, when I do this with Zara, this is me being playful with her, and to her, it has the same meaning. But to the world, it doesn't have that meaning. I will stop. I apologize. It was wrong. I was doing something that I have a meaning in, that Zara has a meaning in, but the world doesn't. And I need to make sure that I'm not teaching her anything that will be damaging because as I've showed you, parenting is modeling. It's, It's showing something and then repeating it. So I apologize. I will not do that. And I will retrain that out of her. And I have already. But it's that stepping up and saying, I was wrong. My mother didn't have the ability to do that it took her to a deathbed when I was with her on a deathbed when she, when I said, why won't, you know, can I ask you these questions? And she said, yes. And I said, why didn't you tell me these things that I asked you? And she goes, I just was ashamed. And I said, I know that I said, but did you know that I would never judge you on it? I just needed to validate the stuff that went on for me. And she said, I know that she goes, it was me. I, I, it was me. It was my fear, it was my shame. She goes, I knew you were not gonna judge me, Mm. but I couldn't live with saying those words that I'd allowed that to happen. So literally on her deathbed, I said to my mom, this is probably the last conversation she had um, before she went silent, before she passed. And I said, I just want you to know, mom, that I love you. I've always loved you. And she said, even with all the pain I caused you, And I said, even with all the pain you caused me, I will always love you. I haven't forgotten the pain you caused me. And I can forgive you for it because you owned it. It Took a long time, but you owned it. And that was where the real forgiveness began. Not in the 20 years of therapy I did before, but the forgiveness began when she could just tell the truth That's all I wanted was to validate. And I said to her, I just wanted you to validate that little boy who thought he was insane because he had all these feelings and nobody was validating it. That's what we all need. Every human being, everyone you meet is trying to feel better. Mm. And if you can understand that, you'll recognize that their behavior is just because they need to feel better about something that is not spoken yet. And when it's spoken, when it's validated, when there's a safe place, particularly for us men, because we're, we're idiots. I mean, men are just conditioned to be idiots around our feelings. And when we stop and we go, hold on, what do I actually feel when I honor that little boy? I'm not talking about you turning into some wishy-washy wimp, as you can probably guess, I'm not that, right? Let's not do that. Right. Let's not, let's not, you know, let's not have a man bun and wear a skirt and go home. It's not that. And I've done all that. So it's not like I haven't done that. So I'm not judging you or anything. I've done that. But I'm talking about really being with your feelings because a real man owns his feelings. A real man is not compartmentalized. Mm. If I give you a rock and I say, keep this rock, it's valuable. And you go, okay, I like it. I'll keep the rock. And I said, what's the rock worth? And you go, well, it's worth a lot cause you gave it to me. No, but what do you think it's actually worth? And you go, I don't know, five cents. Okay, good. Just keep it in your pocket. Walk around. Okay. And you walk around with it. And then one day I see on social that you're in New York and I go, Oh, you're in New York. And you go, yeah, I go, do me a favor. And you go, "What?" Well, go to this area. And they go, why? Just Do it for me. Would you do it for me? Yes. Okay. So you go to the area. So now go to this store. Go in the store, and you go, okay, you're in the store, in this particular area, and it's a jewelry store. And I said, give them your rock. But that's the rock you gave me. I know, just give it to them. And ask them to just see what's inside. And they go, and you go, okay. And you give it to them, and you go, the guy says to you this. Now, this is important. He says to you, for me to find out what's inside, I'm going to have to break the rock. And you go, well, this is an important rock. It's precious to me. Dove gave it to me. Yeah, he says. Your choice. Do you give up what you have in order to discover what is inside of you? Or do you keep what you have? Most people will choose to keep what they have. They go, no, this is is an important stone, I'll keep it. But you don't. You say, no, no. Dove told me to give it to you, so here it is. And the man takes it away and he takes it in the back room and he takes that stone and he pushes it against the wheel. And it grinds on that wheel and he turns it and grinds again he turns it and grinds again and it keeps on grinding you can hear the grind you can hear the rock cracking under the pressure and a few minutes later he comes out and he hands you a diamond that within that rock was a diamond that you would have never known without the wheel the pain and the suffering of your life is the wheel to reveal the diamond And when these things happen to you, like the things that happened to me, including the fall, they can define you, and you can just simply be a victim of them. Or like the wheel, they can refine you and allow that diamond to shine. But we, particularly men, live in a world where we say, okay, I will polish the rock, but only on one side. I will let the facet of me that shine in the world that will get the applause, that will get the success, will get the recognition, but I'll never look at the rest. But until you polish the entire diamond, every facet of you, you will never know the gifts that you can bring to the world. And that requires courage. It requires deep curiosity, as you can see right here. It requires deep curiosity. And it requires courage to discover that you are far more than you've ever imagined. Men, we need to stop. We need to own what happened to us, whatever pain we've gone through, all pain is valid. It's not about being a victim of it. It's about acknowledging it so you can shift it into one of your greatest powers. Everything that happened to me was shit. I would not wish it on anybody. Would I go back and not have it? Yeah, I would. It was horrible, but would I not? Would I not want the lessons? Absolutely not. I have to have those. They've allowed me to serve in the world. They allow me to be of service on this planet. That is vitally important to me.
0: Dov, take us back to. I mean, as it every time that I hear you speak, man. I mean, you you drop bombs, right? And Thank you. It, it's 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 unbelievable. And for those of you who have never got to a uh, chance to be able to hear him live, you got to hear him live or you just got to take your butt up to Canada and be able to spend some time with him. Um, thank you. But take us back to, uh, I want to, I want to circle back, take us mm-hmm. back to the, 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 pedophilia and the pedophile ring. You talked about mm-hmm. your stepdad being a sex yep. addict and an alcoholic and, you know, you, you found out that he was cheating on your mom and everything like that. Um, I've never heard of a pedophile ring before. Was okay. this a per, was this a group of people that he hung out with that all did this? And yeah, and oh, also he, too he, a, a thing uh, and a question too is is a lot of times um, people normalize um, things that happen. I asked one guy one time I, I, we were just in a conversation. I'm just I'm a very curious dude. And I just asked, I, and we had just met, but this was a pretty strong, uh, uh, question. But I always ask people, like I asked you before the podcast, is there anything off limits? And if there's things off limits and I'll stay away from them, you said there was Mm -hmm. nothing off limits. And I asked this guy, I said, uh, has there ever been any abuse in your family? And he was like, well, what kind of abuse? I was like, I went right for, I was like sexual. And he was like, nah, um, not really. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Not really. And he said, well. (laughs) Um, You know, one time when I was four, my uncle came out of the shower, and when he came out of the shower, he didn't have a, a towel on, and I looked, and I've always liked what I saw on a man, so I went over and I played with it, and my uncle allowed me to because he knew that I was really excited about it. And and my eyes got big, and I was like, "Dude, that's abuse!" And he's like, "No, no, no, it's it's what I wanted." And I was like, "Holy crap! Like this is, but this is pretty normal because a lot of times the stories that we tell each other or ourselves about our past, you know, it, it normalizes, like you said. But take us through that that pedophilia ring, and then take us through your experience with it.
1: Sure. So again, normal isn't healthy. Normal is whatever you got used to. So as a kid, all children want to be loved. All children want to be accepted. Human beings by our very nature are tribal. We want to belong. We want to fit in. And we want to fit in with those who we see as more powerful, who can protect us. So we allow things to happen that are maybe not even comfortable for us at the time, but at the same time, children are naturally curious, like the guy you just mentioned, children are naturally curious, but as a, as an adult, it is your job to discern what is healthy. And if you're not healthy, that's going to be difficult for you to discern. So you need to do your own work. So, in this environment that I was in, as I said, my stepdad showed up as this hero. And remember my mom, my mom was working two, sometimes three jobs. Uh, we'd be left on our own for very long periods of time. Uh, there wasn't much food. Um, so this guy coming along was, was amazing for her. And I, you know, people say, do you think she knew? I do. I think she knew, but I don't think she acknowledged. She acknowledged when he screwed around, but she didn't acknowledge that he was doing the kids stuff Um, because she could have a more rational fight with him about him sleeping with another woman. But if she confronted him about diddling her kids, that might mean he'd leave. And if he left, we're back to no, no coal for the fire, no food in the cupboards, no clothes on our back, no heating. So, I think that in her mind it was an act of protection she was protecting us in her mind I'm not saying it's real because it's not but in her mind Um, so my stepdad had a bunch of guys that he hung out with um, who were all often many of them were sex addicts too but um, Some of them were pedophiles, and there was a pedophile ring. What that means is that kids were passed from one adult to another adult. And it was, uh, you're going to go be with your uncle whatever, who is not my uncle. Um, uh, And uh, it was interesting because the the three eldest children – my, myself, my sister and my brother, um, there was my sister and I, it was happening to a lot. My brother was kind of taken on as my stepdad's kid cause he was, I think he was like three at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was taken on as my stepdad's kid. I think he was too old for my, for my stepdad uh, too young, rather for my stepdad, there was a particular sweet spot for him sexually. Right. So he sort of took him on as his own child. And then there was another kid who was a baby. And so that one was, fortunately, was okay. And then my stepdad had his own child with my mother. And when he had that child with my mother, my younger brother got dropped, as Mm. in ignored completely. But we, my sister and I, kept circulating inside of this situation. And my sister, I didn't know this, but my sister had confronted my stepfather Mm. when she was quite young. And he said something to her, and she said, Yeah, well, I'm going to go tell mom. And it always seemed like she had him wrapped around her finger. And it was because he always felt threatened by her. Mm -hmm. Now, just to understand the context of this, as I said, there's another brother came along who is my stepdad's son and my mom's son, who is 11 years younger than me. And um, he always had, like him and I have been close, always been close since he was a little kid. Um, but he always had a problem with me talking about my childhood as being really tough and really rough. And, and he's like, you know, it just wasn't that bad. And he would always say that, and you know, this And I was like, yeah, okay. I understand that's, that's your truth. I wouldn't defend it, but I wasn't going to invalidate myself. It came a time when my mom had passed. Um, and my sister had never said anything to anybody. I'd said more than my sister had, but my mom had passed, and my brother, uh, some conversation had come up about my mom, and I had talked, I know I told the truth about my mom, you know, I talked about how loving and generous she was, and how anybody who came to our house never left hungry, and you know, but she definitely had her challenges, and I talked about some of those at her funeral, and my, my brother, the one I was just talking about, who was 11 years younger than me, was pretty pissed off about it. And he said to my sister, why does he have to say that? You know, our childhood wasn't that bad. And my sister said to him, "Now remember, normal is what we get used to. And we live in our own version of normal. And my sister said to him, Malk, do you remember when we were kids? And he said, yeah. And she said, did we have a car? And Malk said, yeah. Oh, hmm. She said, did we always have uh, coal for the fire or a gas fireplace? And he said, yeah did you ever go to bed hungry? We ever, was there ever any, no food in the house? And he goes, no. Hmm. She goes, do you know that that wasn't the childhood that we had? And he's like, what do you mean? We had the same childhood. And she goes, no, you came along 11 years later. It's a, it was a different social economic place. We were in a completely different situation. And he said, well, why does he say these things about abuse? And she said, and she'd always held back. She'd always protected his father for him because he had an image of his dad that he didn't know the other things. And she said to him, do you remember when a neighbor said, uh, tried to diddle you and you came home and you told mom? And he said, yeah. And she said, do you remember what happened? And he goes, yeah. And she said, what happened? And he said, mom lost it, went over to the guy's house and booted his door down and, and swore at him for, and he hadn't done anything, but he had attempted to, to mess with my younger brother. And she said, and she, my sister said, do you remember where your dad was? And he's like, oh, he thought about it for a moment. He went, well, he was in the house too. She goes, well, why didn't he go? He was a tough guy. Why didn't he go and boot down the guy's door? And, and Malk said, I, I don't know. And my sister said, because if he had, he would have got called out because the guy was a member of the pedophile ring. And it was at that moment that my brother found out that his, his father was a nonce, which means a pedophile.
0: Dov, how old were you when it first happened? Uh,
1: I would pr- say probably around seven or eight.
0: Can you paint the picture? Can you help us to understand? Because, uh, like, for me, it it's in my family also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I've, I've, you know, we, we've had it, we've had it pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh. Paint the picture for us like take us into the room or what i mean some
1: most of it is pretty um still framed in pieces okay you know um
0: and does it start because a lot of like i was i was talking with a friend of mine and he was saying you know uh he and he let me know that that he had been abused and he said and I said well how did it start and he told me oh well, it just started like this and I said no no like tell me the 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 details of it and he was like well the first time it was in the pool and i was mm-hmm. in the pool and you know guy rubbed up against me or whatever it was and it, i didn't even see it they didn't it didn't even register, didn't register. and then it yeah. became a little bit more and a little bit more and then and then it went full-fledged. How did it happen for you? Was it little bit by little bit or was it right away when, and, and, you know?
1: No, I think there was a seduction. There's usually a seduction of trust. How so? It's called, it's called a seduction of trust. So a seduction of trust, I mean, so some people are violent pedophiles who will attack and, and sexually attack a child, right? But most pedophiles are not. Most pedophiles are seductive pedophiles. So they'll do a seduction of trust. So they'll build a trust in that child that makes the kid feel safe, right? I'm uncle, whatever, right? Um, I'm uncle Brian. And so uncle Brian, you hang out with uncle Brian and uncle Brian's always fun and you sit on his lap and he bounces you up and down and, you know, and tickles you and, you know, and you start to feel safe with uncle Brian and then uncle Brian, you know, uh, pulls your pants down and, and is rubbing your bum, you know, and it's still like a tickle and it's fun and, and you're laughing and it goes from there into touching you and then, uh, asking if you want to touch them. But again, asking, not telling because of a seduction of trust. Hmm. Right. And, Once that seduction of trust has gone in place, it's amazing. So let's just give context to this because as you know, my work is around the emotional source code. So, so context to that is how, you know, the question that drove me my entire life is why do people do what they do even when what they do doesn't make sense? And the answer is because of normal, because there's an emotional source code in their life, that has normalized certain behaviors that rationally make no sense, even to that individual that they'll find themselves doing because of their emotional environment. So if you grow up in an environment where you are seduced, but you've not dealt with it, you will either accept more of that seduction even in your adult life, or you will become the seductor. You will seduce yourself. And sometimes we seduce others and sometimes we seduce ourselves. We seduce ourselves into making something okay that we know is not okay. We've all met that person and said, well, you know, I just didn't think it was a big deal. That was you seducing you. So in the most common version of pedophilia, it is a seductive pedophile. Now, I'm going to go neuroscience for a moment, if that's okay. And the neuroscience of it is this. The sexual act or sexualization is normal. We all have it, right? Whatever your, however you decide to claim yourself sexually, it's normal. But that set of hormones is not supposed to be turned on until you reach adolescence. So there's a buildup of different hormones in your system um, that become neurochemicals that are released into the system. And so it's not unusual for babies to have an erection, right? If you've got a baby boy or you had a baby boy, you saw an erection. It's not because they were horny, right? It's, it's pressure on the bladder because of uh, that. And it's blood flow that pushes into the penis and creates an erection. It's completely normal. Baby boys will, will touch themselves down there because it feels good. It's self soothing. Again, everyone is trying to feel better. So a boy is trying to soothe himself. He's playing with his diddling with himself. He's trying to feel better. And that's the same with girls. It's not boys, it's girls too. They will self-soothe. We're all soothing ourselves. Maybe later on we're soothing ourselves with alcohol or cocaine or what, you know, whatever adrenaline, whatever it is, but we're soothing ourselves to feel better. So this kid naturally will soothe themselves. That's a natural part of who we are. So now if an adult comes along, and understands that, they will use the same mechanisms. But now it's transferred from soothing to sexualizing. So I'll give you an example. When I very first started um, many years ago and I trained as a Jungian therapist and I was studying case studies and this was from the early, ni- no, early 80s. And there was a case in, I think it was Texas, And it was a stepfather who the mother had taken the stepfather to court because um, she believed that he was molesting the child, the daughter. Um, Daughter was, I guess, three, three-ish, three three to four. So the, uh, the defense of this man was that this child had actually seduced him this three or four year old had seduced him um, and remember this is the early 80s so it got to kind of a stalemate and the judge wanted to see the kid in his quarters so he asked the mother and the lawyer to come into the, into the judge's quarters with the little girl, and he's talking to the mom, and the kids wandering around the the judge's office, and she's touching shit, and she's being a kid, right? It's, it's lovely, right? And all of a sudden, she comes over to the judge, and she stands next to the judge, and she goes up. So she wants to sit on the judge's lap. So the. The judge picks her up and she's got a big smile, puts her on his lap and he continues talking to the mother and the kid starts to stroke his penis through his pants. Of course, the judge is completely shocked and puts the kid down and he's about to give uh, the case to the stepfather saying, yeah, this kid's a seductress. But the lawyer on the mother's side says, do you think that that's natural? And the judge had to go, I don't think so. So she said, do you think the child had to learn that? And he said, yes. And he said, well, and the, and the defense lawyer said, well, even if she didn't learn it from a stepfather, even if she learned it somewhere else, the truth of the matter is the stepfather is the adult and he should have done what you did judge by putting the child down. But instead he allowed himself to be seduced why wasn't he an adult who said that's inappropriate the kid was just doing what was normal for that child and so very often somebody who has been sexually molested will feel horribly guilty because they went back for more why didn't I say no why did I like it I've heard that so many times from from people I've worked with in the past but I liked it, Dove. I mean, I would never admit that to anybody, but I liked it. Of course you did. You wanted to be soothed. You were a child. You wanted that attention. You wanted to feel loved. You wanted to feel like somebody was giving you affection. Of course you did. That wasn't your problem. The challenge was that the, the adult in the room was not an adult. The adult in the room did not have the discernment to be a decent human being. And so allowed this to continue. If my granddaughter did anything like that, I would immediately not shame her. Absolutely not. But I would explain to her that that's not okay. And here's why it's not okay. Even though she's only two, I know I can communicate with her well enough that she'll get it just like if she starts like part of the, uh, that developmental stages that kids hit themselves. Right, And I have to explain to her, no, be gentle with yourself. Like when she slaps so her, go, no, I love Zara. You love Zara. Let's be gentle. And she'll go gentle to herself. Well, why wouldn't you do that with a child who's doing these kinds of things? It's on you, the adult. I don't care that you blame this child and say that the, the child seduced you. You are the adult. And if you are allowing that to happen, I will come to your house and I will kick your ass because that's a bullshit excuse and you don't want me to come to your house to kick your ass because I will. Be an adult. Take responsibility. And by the way, if you were molested as a child, it's very normal for you to have normalized that. So you may normalize it in a way of finding yourself compelled in that direction. Do yourself a favor. Get some fucking therapy. Get some help. Your neurochemistry has been trained to fire in those situations. It doesn't mean you're screwed up. It means your neurochemistry has created a way for you to feel soothed that is unhealthy. But you have the ability to say, this is not okay. This is not okay. You have the neurochemistry that your dad punched you in the head and said, it's because I love your son. You still have the neurochemistry to accept punches in the head as love or to give punches in the head as love but you also have the ability to go, Oh, maybe this is not okay. I need to get some help with this because there's got to be a better way. You get to be the adults. Let's not do any denial. Okay. Let's not be Cleopatra. Let's not be the queen or the king of denial. Let's own it and say, okay, I have dysfunction. Guess what? So do I. So does everybody you look at. So does Kelly. So does everybody you you hold in esteem. You've pedestalized in some bullshit way. The truth of it is this. We are humans. There was a bloke. You might have heard of him. I can't remember his name now, but his initials were JC. He'll come to me in a minute. Um, And, you know, he lived about... uh, about 2000 years ago. And he lived in a, in a place called, uh, which today is kind of known around Israel. And, you know, he was a very good man and he helped a lot of people and he, and he really was not judgmental and he was loving of people who other people would judge harshly. And then one day, you know, he's, he's hanging out by the temple and he sees all these money changes and they're ripping people off and guess what? He's in the human form. So being a human, He loses his temper, he gets pissed off and he turns over all the tables. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Why did you do that? Because he's in human form. That's a lesson for us to understand in a human form. You have all of the emotions. But you don't have to operate out of them all of the time. You're not perfect. Nobody is. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. He killed an Egyptian. King David, his name is not King David. His name is Dovid. That's what his name is in Hebrew. Dovid means anointed of God. This is the king who is anointed of God. I mean, that's a pretty high level. And he sees this girl go by, this Bathsheba, and he's like, wow, she is hot. And her husband, she's married. Her husband's in Miami. I know what I'll do. I'll send him to the front. Maybe you'll get killed and then she can marry me. Lust. Was he perfect? No, neither are you. Another guy, I mean, King Solomon, he built the temple of God. Like the richest, wisest king ever, who honors God by building this amazing temple where there can be no idols but he meets the queen of Sheba and whoa, she's got some booty and he's like, Woohoo, I want me some of that. Sure, bring in the idols, let's put them in the temple. Doesn't matter, lust, we're all human. Those lessons in the Bible are there not to show us the perfection of these human beings, but to show us the imperfection, that we are all redeemable, that we all need to examine And we need to stop putting other people on pedestals. It doesn't mean that everything is okay. It means that everything is accountable because it's not about Moses killing 10,000 people and then going out and killing a few more. It's not about Jesus losing his temper every five seconds. It's not about David or Solomon chasing booty all the time. It's about showing you the lesson and then being accountable to that lesson to grow. Your job as a human being is to evolve, to evolve spiritually, emotionally, mentally, compassionately, empathetically, in every possible level, to deeply care about those you are interacting with and to deeply care about that child who lives within you. Even if you're my age, if you're in your 60s, there's a kid who lives in you who probably lives in isolation because you've never validated him or her. What would happen? What would you think would be the amazing amounts of gifts? If you acknowledged that part of you, you might go, Oh, well again, I'd be overwhelmed. Yeah, you would for five minutes, but something amazing would happen when you got connected to that part of you. I did that work and it changed my life. It changed everything about me. It changed me spiritually, soulfully, mentally, emotionally. I'm still, you know, I can be a tough dude, but I'm, I'm deeply loving and compassionate for one simple reason. That boy inside me taught me how to be. He had the resilience and I abandoned him. I abandoned him so many times, refusing to look at what had happened. But when I acknowledged him, I got everything there's a there's a quote from joseph campbell the cave which you fear to enter contains the treasure you require it's what you're afraid to look at is where the greatest gifts are that's where you got to go
0: do you guys see why i wanted to force dove to be my friend I thank mean, you sir and uh like going through the things that you've gone through and being as powerful of a voice for good as you are, most, I mean, every one of us goes through the fork in the road. We either become what happened to us or we have the tendency to go completely away from that and and go the other side. Mm -hmm. At that fork, what made you choose? Because you could have went down the road of, I mean, then someone, no one grows up and is like, I'm going to be a pedophile. But a lot of times they've been abused, and then that happens, and then they go through that that realm. What was that 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 fork? What what made you choose to go the way that you went?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think there's a fork. I think there's a ten thousand forks. Um, in quantum physics, whoever at the third talks about the multi-dimensional reality, uh, M theory. Um, And in that, every time you make a decision, a new universe is created. And whether that's true or not true, I think there's a new reality created for you by you. So, um, I think there are major events in my adult life that have changed that. So for instance, I give you one fork in the road, one major one. There's, as I said, there's many, um, but one of the major forks in the road was that um, <clears throat> after the fall, when people would ask me, how you doing? Now, remember, my jaw's wired closed. I can't even speak properly. So I'm talking like this. And people would say, how you doing? I'd say, I'm great. I'm coming back. I wasn't great. I wasn't coming back. It was bullshit. But, I, but I, you know, I was this ghetto kid. I'd been a boxer. I'd been a martial artist. I'd been a bodybuilder. You know, I was a leader. I'd had companies in three different continents. So there was no way in the world I was going to admit that I was felt beaten, but I did. I felt incredibly beaten. And I'd go out with my mates on a, you know, on a Saturday night or Friday night. They'd take me out once in a while, and I'd always be miserable. And I'd think, oh, my God, I'm never going to laugh again. And I'd just, you know, I'd put it on. Don't get me wrong. I'd fake it, but I knew inside I was miserable. And then this one night I went out with the lads and I had a good night and I actually laughed and I thought, Oh, maybe it's true. Maybe I am coming back. Maybe finally I'm coming back. This is good. Okay. I'm going to be all right. And that night I walked through, I came up the back stairs, opened the kitchen door and the light from outside flooded the kitchen and across the kitchen floor, I could see there was garbage everywhere. There was empty meat packages and cans and coffee grinds and kitty lizard. It was disgusting and it smelled horrible. And that joy that I felt that little flicker of hope was snuffed out immediately and replaced with pure rage. I knew exactly who the culprit was. And there was a part of me, not my nature, but I wanted to create an act of violence. I wanted to kill the culprit. And I went into the living room. And there he was, relaxed, comfortable on the couch. And I lift my hand to strike, but that's not who I am. So I take my hand down, and instead I scoop up into my arms, and I bring him close to my chest, and I realize that he's cold, and he's stiff, and my cat had had distemper And it had caused it to freak out in the kitchen and do whatever it had done. And it had died. With my cold dead cat in my arms, I fell to my knees and I began to weep. And it really wasn't very long, maybe a a minute when I realized I'm not weeping for the cat. I'm weeping for the fact that this idea, this identity of who I was is dead. It's gone. There's something else and I I felt completely immobilized. And as I laid there on the floor for hours sobbing, I realized I had three choices. Keep up this act. I'm great. I'm coming back, but you know, I'm bright enough to work out that nothing in evolution moves backwards. There is no back. That's a lie. So I'd have to keep acting for the rest of my life. That wasn't going to work. And then with the second choice was the most seductive, which was that I can be a victim. It's not my fault. I had all this shit in my childhood and now this has happened to me. You know, I'm cursed, God's against me, whatever one wants to say. And that was very seductive because that was a very easy path. And who wouldn't support me in that bullshit? And then I realized there was a third path and the third path was to truly find my purpose. What if I really looked now, remember I've already, by that time I'd already done 10, 15 years of work on myself. I'd already traveled the world to study with all these spiritual teachers. I was very, very well informed, but I hadn't fully integrated what I needed to integrate. And I said, what if I really look at that? And what if there's some gift within me? What if there's some purpose within me that I've not touched yet? The reason that I'm here on the planet, the reason that I'm here to serve, what if I go to that? And that was terrifying. But it was the only choice. It was the only choice. And it was the transformation. And it made me so much more discerning about who I would work with, who I would deal with um, instead of chasing money or chase, you know, I would stop doing that. I would stopped trying to save people because that's a waste of time. And that I would become very discerning about who I helped and how I could help them while being incredibly generous and, and caring and wanting to help people. I was not willing to help anybody who was not willing to be courageous enough. Even they're not as courageous as me, but just some level of courage, to step in so that they could serve at the highest possible level. That was the biggest fork in the road that happened to me after the fall. And that was transformational, but there's a million forks in the road before and after, and they continue. They can, they, they, the this with my grandkid, you know, you want know some of this <laughs> and then learning that that's not it is a fork in the road. Yeah. That's a fork in the road. There's a fork in the road that when I said to my friend, um, 25 years ago and I said, do you like Ren? Ren's my wife at the time, girlfriend. And he goes, oh she, yeah, she's the best chick you've ever been with, she's amazing. I said, yeah, I think I'm gonna ask her to marry me. And he's like, what? You gonna ask her to marry you? You're like perpetually single, you can't do that. And I go, why the hell not? He goes, I know your biggest maxim. And I go, I know my biggest maxim. He goes, oh, right. And I said, okay, so tell me what it is. And he goes, it's freedom. And I said, it is. He goes, well, how can you get married? I said, freedom is not my ability to put my penis in different people. Freedom's got nothing to do with my sexuality. Freedom is the ability to be me at a greater and greater level. That was a new fork in the road. It's the ability like, to be with somebody who will hold me in the space of being the best that I can, which means kicking my ass when I'm behaving in a way that's not in alignment with that. And when I'm beating myself up to remind me of who I actually am and why I'm here. Wow. That's another fork in the road. So this is the other thing. I think people are looking for these big events. You look for big events with abuse. Right? But abuse is sometimes... You know, if I come up to you and you're you're a seven-year-old kid and I punch you in the head, that's a big event. That's abuse. And you go, you remember that. But if I I come up to you and you're seven years old and every night for a year, I put one drip of water from up here onto your forehead every night at 2 a.m. You go, it was nothing. It was a drip of water. No, that's torture. That's torture. But because it's accumulative, you dismiss it. And it's the same with the major events of your life. Like the major events of your life are things you probably think are no big deal, but they change the direction. They change, they, they you tacked in a different breeze to change the direction of your life. And I would, I, I would challenge you right now to get out a piece of paper and say, what was every fork in the road? And, and, and like give yourself time, like block an hour to do it. And then, and when you're finished, Leave it and come back to it two days later and do it again. Add more. And you'll find your mind is like, wow, that was a fork in the road. That was a fork in the road. Like there was a big fork in the road for me uh, nine years into my previous career. When I looked at my business partner, Phil, and said, I can't do this hairdressing gig thing anymore. And he's like, why? And I go, because I'm bored out of my fucking mind. And he's like, really? Yeah. And, I said, and he said, I can see that. I go, you know, I got to do this. I got to study the philosophy, the psychology, the sciences. I got to do these things. And he goes, well, Dov, you know, he goes, you know, you're an international judge and our salon does, we win all these awards. He goes, but, and you're really good. He goes, but I got news for you. And I said, what? He goes, people don't come to you for haircuts. And I go, no. What do you mean? He goes, look at her over there. And I said, yeah. He said, when was she here last? I said, two weeks ago. I go, well, he says, why is she here? I said, well, she wants her fringe trimmed bangs. She wants her. And he goes, really? You think that's why she's here? I said, are you saying that she's hot for me? And he goes, nope. And I go, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, cause you're a cheap therapist. She's here to discuss her life. That's why your clients come to you. It's because of your abilities. Now, I became a Jungian therapist, but guess what? Where did I learn those skills? With my mom. That curse was a blessing. So every, every curse is a blessing, but every blessing is a curse if you let it take over. Mm-hmm. you got to understand it's two-sided. It's not one-sided. Nothing is black and white. Heads and tails are the same coin. Remember that.
0: Dov, I started the podcast because of my kids, um, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is uh, 11 years old. Uh, he's the kid has more joy in him than I've ever seen in any human being in the, on the planet. Um, he's one of the most positive kids I've ever seen. I'm not saying he's a perfect kid. He's got his little flaws, but I mean, in my eyes, like I I just, I'm inspired by him every day. My daughter Mm -hmm. has the biggest heart in the world and she is in the performing arts and she is just a phenomenal human being. Um, funny as can be her sense of humor is on another level. She's going to write and she's going to direct and she's going to act. And, um, but I started the podcast because I wanted to take iconic people like you and I wanted my kids to see that Uncle Dov is not a superhero, that he is simply a human being that has gone through a lot of challenges but has a phenomenal attitude and crazy work ethic. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both of their names, it would be awesome, Uncle Dov.
1: Mm, thank you. Uh, I've never uh, met or, e- or seen either of your kids although I have seen you with Maddox in photographs. Um, But my advice to you, Maddox and McKenna, is this. You might be good at things, and you might think that that's what you should do, but that doesn't mean it's what you should do. You might be good at things, and people tell you that you're good at them, and that's what you should do. But that doesn't mean it's what you should do. You can love and enjoy something and still decide it's not for you. You don't have to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. You have to decide what you're going to do that's going to fill your heart and your soul with joy. And if you can bring joy, And healing and caring to others in doing what it is that brings you joy that's what you need to do not as a job but as a life there is a dream within you maddox mckenna this there's dreams within you that you did not get by accident they are your heart and your soul crying out for expression and the world will tell you that you can't or you're not enough or you're not good enough or you're not tall enough or you're not thin enough or you're not big enough or you're not smart enough or you're not funny enough or you're not something enough, but they don't know that those dreams were given to you by your heart and soul and they're awaiting your expression. And sometimes it's not for you to be super successful at them. It's for you to do them with joy. It's for you to do them to just express something in the world. When I was a boy, everybody thought I was going to be an artist because my art was in galleries. By the time I was your age, Maddox, I was 11. My art was in galleries. And then when I was 14, there was somebody at school, a teacher who said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be an artist. And they said, you'll never make any money at that won't work. And I was heartbroken. And I went home to my mom and I cried because I loved art and I loved expressing my art. And I took private art lessons on my own that I paid for out of the money I'd made from paper routes and things. And my mom said, well, there's more than one art. And I suddenly realized the world was bigger than just a canvas. And I became a hairdresser and I found that art. And then that art wasn't enough for me because there was other parts of me that were my heart and soul crying out for expression. There was the part of my mind that needed to learn and to grow and part of my soul that needed to emote and feel and connect. You're not one thing. There's so much more to you. Don't let them tell you who you are. Don't let them limit who you are. You are magnificent. You are a gift to the world. And when you actually get to know that, you'll become a gift to the world. When you understand that your life is a gift, when you embrace that, not because you're entitled to, you're entitled to nothing, nothing. But you get to be grateful for everything. When you embrace that, the world opens for you. And you get to serve and you get to be served by serving. You are magnificent. Don't let anyone ever tell you anything different and you are flawed and you will make mistakes and you need to be accountable for those mistakes and you need to learn from them and you need to ask yourself, how can I be better? Not for them, but for you, for your heart and for your soul. And you need to learn and grow. And as you do, you become better because you're already magnificent. We're just polishing the facets of the diamond that is you.
0: That's my advice to you. (laughs) Like I said, you just keep, I mean, every time you speak, man, you could just drop the mic. And this is the reason why in the introduction, like for me, you're not just, I I don't think you're just one of the top 30 global uh, leadership gurus. You are the Global guru, you are the number one. Um, Thank you. Sir. You are a, a best-selling author. You have spoken to all these places. Um, You have books all over the place. I mean, and you're one of the best speakers I've ever seen in my life. But what you just said and what you just talked about is exactly who you are. It, that's just a piece of it. The art, mm-hmm. the the author is just a piece of you. The hairdresser just a piece of you. But the 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 whole package there, Dov, is, I mean, you're a gift to this world, man. And I, I absolutely appreciate you. Um, now's the time, if you're listening out there, I want to thank you. Well, you should thank me. You should thank me for, honestly, this is the first time I ever said this on the podcast, but every one of you listening should thank me for having friends like Dov. Because I'm going to keep bringing you amazing people. And I want to thank all of you, though, because every one of you has helped us to become in the number, uh, top 1% globally as far as all podcasts. And we haven't done that through promotion. I have people sending out things to me every single day, like, I'll promote your podcast. I'll get you more listeners. I'll do And I said, no, no, the listeners will go do it if they like it. And we wanna keep putting out a phenomenal product like bringing uh, Dov to you. But what I want you to do, every single one of you, is I want you to take this and I want you to send it to someone who needs to hear it. Because there are so many people out there that are dealing with challenges in their life, whether it was sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, alcohol, uh, drugs, anything like that. Every one of them needs to hear Dov's voice. Dovbaron.com, it's going to be in the uh, bio. There's going to be links to that. You need to stay in touch with this guy. Dov, we need to have you on the show again. And I just w- I want to thank you. You're better than advertised. And the words that you said to me, man, I, and I can't overemphasize this the words that you said to me in private, when you pulled me aside in the back of the room, you did it two times. You did it behind stage, and then you did it in the back of the room. And you grabbed me and you pulled me close. And to hear those kind of words, you breathe life into my soul, man. And I want to thank you for doing that. I want to thank you for being the same exact guy. Like the, the things that you talked about today, I know to be true because I've interacted with you on a personal level when nobody else is watching. And I want to applaud you on that. Uh, I want you on the podcast more, man. And you can't uh, get rid of me because I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life, baby.
1: Well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for inviting me to be here to be part of this. But you know, here's the thing I want to say. Um, if if you are not new to this show and you're a regular listener, but you kind of keep it to yourself, what the heck are you doing? Stop hoarding. And if you're new to the show, um, I have two podcasts. I know what it's like. It's kind of a one-sided thing we put out this stuff and we don't really know what it's doing in the world. And I want you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to go to wherever you listen to whether if it's on iTunes or you know, whatever it is, whatever platform, YouTube, I want you to rate review, subscribe and share it because listen, if this touched you and i don't just mean my me being the guest i'm talking about the what kelly does with his show like the amount of work and effort it takes is enormous you have no idea and it requires you to let us know that it's resonating with you so i'm going to ask you to rate review subscribe to the show tell your friends about it and here's what i'm going to ask you to do i know this is insane but i'm going to give you my private email my private email is dov dov at dot com Dov at DovBaron.com. I want you to write to me and I want you to write to Kelly and tell us what you got out of this episode and what you're going to do with it. Because information is worth the hole in a donut. Transformation comes from application. You got to apply this. Talk about, tell us who you've shared it with and why you've shared it. Because if this resonated in any way, shape or form, there is healing in it for you. There is transformation in it for you. Don't minimize that. Go, oh, you know, I would, but I'm I'm I was busy. Yeah. You'll be busy till you drop dead. Right? And I don't want you to be the person who dies and in that last moment go, I could have done better. Yeah, you could. We could all do better. But are you doing better each day? Are you stepping into that in a magnificent way? Are you honoring your soul? Are you honoring your gifts? I know shit happened to you. I get it. It happened to me too. But that you're more than that. You're not defined by it. You're refined by it. It's not that you can say, oh, well, that was in the past. That's not true. It's in the present. Every Your past is leaking all over your present and about to pollute your future until you deal with it. But when you deal with that, you transform yourself, and you transform the world. Share this show with others, and more than anything, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious.
0: <laughs> Dav, you're 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 better than advertised, man. And let me tell you out there, guys, I have the coolest friends in the world. I have the coolest yeah. friends in the world. And what I'll finish with today is when you come to the hideout, <laughs> you never know who's going to show up to the hideout because I have the coolest friends in the world. Dav, you're officially. Off the hot seat.